an invitation was once issued to a priest, an invitation to preach at Mass on this Feast of the Assumption. The reply came back, I cannot possibly accept because the Assumption is an Assumption. It's true. The Assumption of Our Lady is not in the Bible and it was specified as an essential belief by the Roman Catholic Church in the mid-19th century. Although in all honesty, it had been widely understood for many centuries before that. Then again, we accept the Trinity as part of the faith, but that's not precisely described in the Bible. And if you tried to argue it wasn't essential to the faith, you'd probably run into problems quite quickly. But the assumption is an assumption. But let's think about what we know about Mary. There's nothing in the scriptures about her before the visit of the Archangel Gabriel. We hear she is betrothed to Joseph. She visits Elizabeth after accepting God's call. John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit both recognizing who Jesus is. She journeys to Bethlehem with Joseph for the census and gives birth to Jesus. That covers about nine months of her life, give or take. Betrothed to Joseph, angel visits, pregnant, visits Elizabeth, recognition of Jesus, journeys to Bethlehem, gives birth. To be specific, she gave birth to Jesus, God made man. She bore God in her womb, hence the title Mother of God, or in the Eastern Church, Theotokos, God-bearer. And in her visit to Elizabeth, she sings that great song of liberation, the Magnificat, that we just had as the Gospel reading, a prophecy of the world being turned upside down through Jesus. The lowly raised, the self-important brought down because Jesus came for all people, not just those who are apparently more important than others. For these things to have happened though, we need to have some more assumptions. We need to make the assumption that Mary existed, that Mary was born, that Mary had a mother and a father. They're not in the Bible, but it's fair to say we need to assume they are true in order for the incarnation to happen. And tradition gives Mary's parents the names Anna and Joachim. So Mary existed, an assumption but a necessary one. We hear that Mary and Joseph presented the infant Jesus in the temple according to Jewish custom. So we know she was a Jew, following the religious rules. We fast forward to Jesus being an adolescent. Mary, Joseph, Jesus and others in the family travelled to the temple for a religious feast. Again, we are reminded that Mary's household followed the Jewish way of life. Another assumption, I suppose, Mary and Joseph must have been looking after Jesus up to this point, teaching him, caring for him, 
even though those years are not mentioned in the scriptures. Early in John's gospel, we hear Jesus, Mary and the disciples were present at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. A bit later in the gospels, we hear Mary is there when Jesus asks, who is my mother and my brother? And later, of course, Mary is there at the foot of the cross of Jesus, receiving his lifeless body into her arms. We assume then that Mary must have been around for the rest of Jesus' life. Probably fair assumptions. But where is Mary now? She's not living, surely. And if she's not living, where is she? Jesus promised eternity with God. In John 14, we hear Jesus reminding them he's prepared a place for us and a route to get there. If that offer, that promise, is for each of us, it surely applies to Mary more than most. Most highly favoured lady, as the angel Gabriel called her. Does it not follow then that it's fair to assume Mary is in heaven? The dogma of the Assumption refers to her being taken body and soul into heaven, while the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Church, has the Domitian, the falling asleep of Mary. But if we move beyond exact theological descriptions, Surely it's fair to assume Mary is in heaven. That's not too hard an assumption. And if we accept that Mary is in heaven, and let's be honest, if she isn't, there's not too much hope for the rest of us. We can assume she's close to Jesus, as she was throughout his 33 years on earth. The church has the tradition of asking Mary and other saints in heaven to pray for us. Why do we do that? If we assume Mary and the saints are in heaven, they are close to Jesus and close to God the Father. And if they are close to Jesus and God the Father, maybe they might be able to put in a good word for us in the same way that if we know someone who's influential a deputy maybe. They might be able to influence something a bit more than the rest of us would because they can be in the right place closer to the action. It makes sense to ask others to put in a good word for us here and there. And so it surely makes sense to ask the saints in heaven to do the same since they are closer to God. In litanies, there are often lists of saints, each followed by aura pro nobis, pray for us. Throughout her life, Mary pointed people towards Jesus. Think of her words at the wedding at Cana, do what he tells you. That is a lesson for us too. And as we ask Mary's prayers, we are pointed again towards Jesus, 
Mary's son, God made man, our saviour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.